Hey, it's Larry. Uh, Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Real quick, before we get into this episode, I had such an amazing, eye-opening, life-changing experience at the World Parkinson Congress in Kyoto that I want others to have that opportunity, too. So Becca Miller and I and 24 of our PD community friends have launched a year-long WPC Travel Grant Fundraiser. We're each doing a two-week Facebook fundraiser. Mine's underway right now because my birthday's January 9th. All the money raised will be used to help offset travel costs so more people with young-onset Parkinson's can attend the next WPC in Barcelona in 2022. You can search out details on the When Life Gives You Parkinson's Facebook page or donate directly to the WPC website. Go to wpc2022.org slash yopdfund. If you or your business would like to supply matching funds... Hey, good on you. Email me at parkinsonspot at curiouscast.ca. And now, on with the show. It's time for another Extra Dosage episode of When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. And I'm Nikki Reitmeyer. Extra Dosage episodes are the in-between bits, special bonus content to get you through till the next full episode. And today, Larry, we're talking about gut health. Right. A couple weeks ago, there was a widely reported research study that essentially said, if you've had your appendix removed, you have a lower overall risk, nearly 20% less, of developing Parkinson's disease. Wow, that's really interesting. Those are some incredible numbers. Well, who knew the appendix did anything at all? Yeah, yeah. No kidding. (laughs) I can't even spell appendix. So here's what I've learned about it so far. Um, The appendix actually helps the immune system detect and eliminate harmful microorganisms while regulating gut bacteria. A healthy appendix contains alpha-synuclein. Alpha-synuclein is the protein that builds up in the brains of people with Parkinson's. You're sounding very smart, Larry. I I am very smart. (laughs) Trust me. Uh, So once this gets into the brain, the alpha-synuclein begins to clump. That's known as as Lewy bodies. Okay. When the the alpha-synuclein clumps Clumps, in your brain. Okay. Those clumps are toxic. Oh. And they are what end up killing the dopamine-producing brain cells. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So So all that's contained in your appendix. Who knew? Yeah, no kidding. Crazy. So one of the researchers focused on better understanding the importance of gut health and our microbiome is Dr. Silky Cresswell. She's an assistant professor in the Division of Neurology at UBC. And I sat down with her at the Center for Brain Health on the campus uh, for the Pacific Parkinson's Research Institute's annual scientific review. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I, I started by asking Dr. Cresswell to explain microbiome. So the microbiome is a term that summarizes all the little creatures that live in and on us. So that is bacteria, it is viruses, it is fungi, it is um, other very small organisms that we rely on and that we need occasionally if they go haywire, they give us illnesses as well. Um, But they actually fulfill an enormous amount of functions. And quite frankly, they were there way before we came about. So when life started in, in this kind of soup of life, it was bacteria and then other small, very simple organisms that were there to start with and were there for you know, billions of years before anything else happened. And then when the first kind of multicellular organisms started to develop, maybe first more like a tube of a, of a gut of several cells, the microbes were already there. So they were there from the very beginning. We as any multicellular organism, as any animal evolved with them from the very beginning. And so our functions are actually incredibly tightly linked to the microbiome. And ironically, we only seem to start understanding now what role the microbe 
uh, in Anonas actually play? What vital roles, such as producing vitamins, um, metabolizing toxins, uh, producing certain messengers, so serotonin or dopamine, um, etc., do? And um, they are, of course, vitally important for the gut as well. And the gut is really where most of those microbes live. They are everywhere. They are on our skin and our nose and in every surface, internal and external, of our bodies. But the gut has the highest concentration of them. And they are right where our internal surfaces so communicate. So does that with include the like the, uh, the, the the ability to smell? I know that's one of the yep. signatures. Is that connected yep. to all that? That is connected to that too. We think oh, that was one of the reasons why we said, "Oh, we got to look yeah. in the nose as well." And there are several other um, strains of evidence as well, including that if you get your appendix out, you have a lower chance of Parkinson's later on. If you cut the vagus nerve, which is the main connector, the main kind of superhighway nerve-wise connecting the brain and the gut, uh, you also have a lower chance of Parkinson's later on. Uh, people so, so are you going to start recommending people have appendectomies? No, <laughs> not quite. <laughs> but if you have it, at least there, there is a bonus. This paper was actually just published this month. So this is very new research. It's a very high quality paper. Uh, um, but we're not at a stage where we send people to the surgeon. And it would have to happen, according to this particular paper. It would have to happen fairly early on. Oh. So like in the 20s or 30s, and then people are followed for some 20, 30 years. Yeah. Wow, okay. What has your research so far uncovered about gut health and the importance of gut health as it relates to Parkinson's? Yes, yeah, so we are just starting to analyze what we've got because uh, this is a, a long-term study. Uh, um, but we already have very exciting uh, findings. So for sure, there are differences between people who have Parkinson's and the controls in the composition of the microbiome of the gut. And generally speaking, the function of the microbiome in people with Parkinson's compared to without is different as well. And the most notable differences are that people who have Parkinson's seem to have a more inflammation-driven milieu. So anti-inflammatory, so inflammation dampening microbes are actually reduced in Parkinson's. And in addition to that... What's that mean? So you will have more inflammation in the gut and in all likelihood also in the rest of the body uh, in Parkinson's. Okay. And that correlates with the changes in the microbiome and it correlates with the function of those microbes. Okay. So there's something called butyrate, which is a short-chain fatty acid. And that is a substance that is produced by bacteria. And what it can do, it is also anti-inflammatory. So it dampens, it reduces inflammation. And that is reduced um, in people with Parkinson's. What is the goal of your microbiome research? So the goal of the microbiome research is to hopefully elicit whether there is a crucial role of the microbiome for Parkinson's. And that would be for how Parkinson's starts, but then also how it progresses and what symptoms we see with Parkinson's disease. There is quite good evidence to suggest that the microbiome and the gut are very early and very importantly involved in Parkinson's in how it develops and, and how it progresses. When I got diagnosed with Parkinson's, mm-hmm. people said, hey, you know what? You should try this diet, all vegetables, or this diet, the keto diet, or just take a lot of uh, probiotics. Like, is there an answer to that? Will there be an answer to that? So nutrition is very difficult to study, for sure, and so that is why you don't have a firm answer at this point. Having said that, there are certainly certain things that we can already say. I so, can eat a lot of chocolate. I know that. 
<laughs> Clearly, uh, you, know, you got to do a study into that. <laughs> so a, a diet rich in fruits and vegetables, fresh fruit and vegetables is certainly a good idea. And that is really also a diet that makes your microbes happy. They want that. Those are actually called prebiotics. There's a lot of fiber in there. Okay. And so that keeps all the good players on board. So a diet rich in fresh fruit and vegetables is definitely a good idea. A diet that is low in processed food, low in red meat, probably low in dairy for Parkinson's is also a good idea. Um, so how do you explain the keto diet, which is like all butter? Yeah, so, well, so there are animal-derived uh, kind of fats and proteins, but you can also do this plant-derived through yeah. avocado and, and coconut oil, etc., etc., Having said that, so the verdict isn't quite out there yet. There are case series in one study so far, and that one study, it's a New Zealand study, showed that there are actually some benefits of the keto diet for people with Parkinson's disease in the non-motor features. Having said that, are we at a point where I'd say this is something I would recommend? Certainly not. Is it something I'd recommend for people to do at home without medical supervision? Certainly not. Um, because there are risks to it as well. You know, you, you can get increasing cholesterol levels, etc. Right. Having said that, I think it is very much an interesting area to study. It has to do with how energy is supplied to the cells. And we heard about the mitochondria are quite a bit in Parkinson's and they are um, involved in Parkinson's. And there are certain parts of the mitochondria that we can just kind of skip over with a ketogenic diet. So the energy is um, made a little bit differently. Gotcha. And that is where it might uh, come in. It might just uh, have a little bit of a different pathway to make the energy in the cells. All right. So we've talked a little bit about vet fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. And what else can we do to improve our gut health now? So Generally speaking, constipation is something that definitely needs to be targeted in Parkinson's on various levels. Um, A, because it's plain uncomfortable, and if it goes too far, then it can be just outright dangerous if it leads to blockage. Um, but it's also important for the absorption of medication. So constipation really needs to be targeted uh, quite actively. Uh, and you can, there are certain over-the-counter uh, laxatives, um, stool softness that can be used. And I would say something that is more mechanical, so pulls fluid into the gut to make the stool both bulkier as well as softer, is easier to pass, um, is a good idea. So polyethylene glycol is the um, generic name, comes under various brand names yeah, and can be used in the long term in Parkinson's. And there are also studies to support that. Um, drinking enough fluids, that's really, really crucial. I'd say at least two liters per day, more if it's warm, more if you're doing exercise. That is really crucial. Many people don't do that because they also have got some, some uh, bladder problems. So, for example, urinary urgency or frequency, and then you think, oh, gosh, you know, I don't want to drink too much because then I have to go again. But don't forget that if you have constipation, the pressure inside your abdomen also rises, and then it pushes on the bladder, and that is not going to be helpful. And Parkinson's is a joy, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and drink the, this, this fluid, if you can, in the first part of the day. So don't drink it before you go to bed oh, because okay. otherwise you're up all night. All right, I'm going to ask you a poop question. Mm -hmm. So how does somebody with Parkinson's, like, how do you define constipation? So different ways to defining it. And so we use different questionnaires. And one is how many bowel movements you have a week. You know, if you have two or three a week or more, 
um, whether it is easy or hard to pass stools, whether what consistencies they have. There's something called the Bristol Stool Scale, which uh, people have baked in chocolate cakes. So you can go on the internet <laughs> and find interesting variations. But it's very practical and very useful because it gives you the shape and the consistency of the poop that you would see, and then you can rate it. So if it's you know really small and hard little balls, and then that would be supportive of constipation, and then it goes all the way to you know snake-like with cracks on the surface, smooth to not formed to just liquid. But it's very useful because it's an extremely easy way that everybody can do to see oh is there a problem with constipation. Do you guys have a good poop sense of humor in the uh, laboratory? Well, you have to, right? (laughs) (laughs) Much to the delight of my children. (laughs) I'm sure, yes, of course, of course. Um, Before I let you go, Mm -hmm. you've come up close and personal with Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. If Parkinson's was a person you met on the street, what would you say to it? You've got to change your ways massively, best disappear, (laughs) which is not what I would tell the person. But (laughs) obviously, the the ultimate goal is to not having to deal with it and to catch it early and to understand why it comes about in the first place. And yeah, hopefully make a real difference. So that is what we are really absolutely dedicated to and that we chose our professional lives to spend and dedicate to and uh, it's certainly more than just a profession thanks for all your work well thank you we really appreciate it thank you for spreading the word so that is your extra dosage and as always we're really grateful to have parkinson canada as a partner for this podcast and you can find more information on them at parkinson.ca on the next episode of when life gives you parkinson's research unfortunately wouldn't happen I don't think Um, certainly not at the pace it's going uh, without people uh, basically the general public providing funds and here we are at a fundraiser called Porridge for Parkinson's Mm. I'm Emily Chambers and I'm the creator of Shake 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 there are people that are only an arm's length away from us that are dealing with these diseases and how cool that we can give back in a fun way as long as I have my voice I'm going to tell my story I'm a gene hunter, and we're going to take uh, some of the cells from your cheek. We spin that material down, we extract out the DNA, we shred it into a billion tiny fragments, and we sequence each of those fragments. We take all that information, and using computers, align it to a reference human genome to try and identify one specific difference that may be causal for your disease. Hey, thanks for listening. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. And while you're there, give the show a rating and feel free to comment too. And we want to thank the folks at Apple Podcasts who have listed When Life Gives You Parkinson's in their uh, annual uh, The Best of 2018. And we're, we're in the category of other podcasts that we love. How cool is that? Thanks, Apple. Very cool. Thank you, Apple. Uh, Also, please tell your friends about this show. You can tag at Parkinson's Pod on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can jot us a note at parkinsonspod at curiouscast.ca. Keep positive. Keep exercising. And keep listening. We'll talk to you next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. 
All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. (laughs) For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.